Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre, Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's associate director and your host, Emma Callender. Welcome to this month's Travcast. Um, I'm Emma Callender, the associate director at the Traverse, and I'm joined by Tony Cox, who's one of our Play Pioneer Pint writers with his play Love with a Capital L. Thank you very much, Emma. Nice to be here. Nice to have you here with us. So, this is your first produced stage play, isn't it? It is my first produced stage play, and I'm glad you used that word, produced. There have been many <laughs> others which haven't been produced. That's exciting, though. It's this very exciting. The first that you're going to see on well, stage. Well, when you wait, you know, sometimes these things become better for the anticipation. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about your journey of how you've come to be a stage writer which I guess is what you are now. Well, <laughs> yes. I've always been a jobbing writer um, ever since I was in my uh, kind of mid to late 20s because um, I I started off as a school teacher and then I was seconded to work in the Department of Educational Studies in Baku Place here in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, um, they had a thing, you won't remember this, a very long time ago, called the raising of the school leaving age. And the raising of the school leaving age meant that children from school had by statute to be create, uh, to be educated until they were 16 rather than 15. So you couldn't dump all the kids out on the street at 15. You had to keep them in school and you had to educate them, which was no problem if you were in school. But if you weren't in school, but you still needed to be educated, there were problems. And they had a, there's a young offenders institution at Sockton here. Mm-hmm. And because they couldn't get teachers to come in uh, and uh, teach these kids, we organised um, a teaching program from the Department of Educational Studies, which meant basically I got my mates to go into the prison, mm-hmm. and we really, really enjoyed it. And as a result of having done that and inventing sorts of classes that these boys would like, and most of them were um, very heavy criminals. Um, actually, that's not quite true. There were murderers who were extremely nice and just like you and me, but had happened to have some terrible circumstances in their lives and had just lost the plot. And they were very um, keen to learn and very easy to teach. And um, so much better for them than being locked up in a cell all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the recidivists were just nasty and you didn't really want to teach them as, you know, too much. Anyway, we had to do a whole load of... Pro- uh, at the programme, um, introduced all kinds of educational concepts that they would find relatively simple to absorb and that was really the beginning of doing social studies and media studies and things like that and as a result of doing that um, I did two things and these were my first writing jobs I did three textbooks for a company in Edinburgh called Holmes McDougall who are educational publishers and these were very simple textbooks based on themes like um, uh, drugs or immigration or you can imagine the kind of social issues that kids would deal with and try to approach intelligently and ask uh, you know appropriate questions of themselves and how they felt and then I also did a series for schools on the radio so all of a sudden from doing this educational program in a school from working in the Department of Educational Studies I found myself writing textbooks and also doing um, a radio series. So that's how mm-hmm. I started. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And that led you through into advertising, didn't it? 
Well, that led me through to having no money, basically, because <laughs> I thought it would be so much nicer to be a writer, and uh, that's almost impossible to make a living. And I had, um, I was married with three children, and um, uh, so somebody asked me if I'd write some brochures because the the textbooks I was writing were very simple language and aimed because in those days textbooks were quite complicated and they made all kinds of assumptions about people's verbal skills that they didn't really have mm -hmm. and so we used to break down the information into you know um, assimilable pieces and short sentences and simple words and everything else and that skill of course is extremely useful when you come to writing brochures and advertising copy and things and so it's a transferable skill. And somebody said to me, would I write them a brochure? And uh, I said, yes, OK, I'll write you a brochure. And it was for something like um, pallets. You know these things that they... Um, the wooden pallets. Yeah, the wooden pallets. <laughs> yeah. So just about really? like the <laughs> most unimaginable... You know, you certainly have to exercise a great deal of imagination in order to make a pallet interesting. <laughs> but in any event, I could do that. And it paid extremely well. Uh -huh. So I went from pallets to, I can't remember what it was, golf clubs or whatever. <laughs> but I started getting picking up jobs, writing brochures. And, uh, of course, that did pay rather better mm -hmm. than the educational publishing. And certainly the BBC. <laughs> so then this has led you to writing plays. No. Oh? No. That led me to a job in advertising. Right. And then, when I was working in advertising, I was actually discovered I was good at that. And uh, so I did radio ads, and I did a lot of ads for... Um, I did a big anti-smoking campaign up here. Um, I worked uh, with um, the Bay City Rollers, can you believe? They did an <laughs> advertising campaign for me on television. Slightly more exciting than pallets. Yes, I did one with... Um, Oh, God, it slipped my mind. What's the name of the Manchester United manager who's just retired? Oh, I'm not going to be able to help. Alex Ferguson? Alex Ferguson. Uh -huh. And he was very anti-smoking. So mm -hmm. we did, a, we did a, um, some uh, TV ads with him and with his team. And this is very exciting, you see, all of a sudden. You're mm -hmm. making films or you're making little uh, ads and things. And um, I really enjoyed that. And um, progressed from there. Fantastic. Do you find anything from your previous experience in writing has um, been transferable into playwriting? I think any writing you do, no matter how menial it sounds, like writing a brochure for palettes, is probably as good a starting point as any because just putting words on a page and having to be inventive about very simple things and having a commercial master who's paying you or not, depending on whether or not it's any good, I think that's everything that you write is of use to you. So mm -hmm. I'm not at all precious in anything that I write. And the times I've tried to do the difficult jobs, which is writing, um, you know, more ambitious things, um, I, I've, I, I mean, you get a confidence from having put pen to paper. On, and any excuse to put pen to paper, I think, is a good one. And if you get paid as well, then, of course, it's excellent because it encourages you to believe that they might make some money. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> great. Really good hearing that it's the simplicity of pen to paper 
is the link. Well, I think a lot of people start off thinking they're going to write the great novel or they're going to be um, on Broadway in no time or, you know, in the West End. And it's unlikely, to say the least, isn't it? I mean, it's taken me, I won't say how old I am, many, many years to get a play produced, and I'm so thrilled. Well, it's a very good play, I have to say. Well, thank you. It's a lot of practice. (laughs) (laughs) seamlessly linked through to the premise um, of this play. The premise of this is, play. is very interesting. So we've got Helden Matheson, who was the head of talks at the BBC in the 20s. Yeah. And also the lover of Vita Sackville-West. Yes. Speaking with the director-general, John Reith. Correct. Well, I'll tell you, shall I give you a little bit of background as to why I was interested or why I got into this particular storyline? Yes, do. Um, it's probably important as well just to say that the beginning um, of the play opens with a conversation between Rita Sackville-West and her, um, and her husband, Harold Nicholson, it on does. marriage. It does. That's the kind of igniting spark that, that starts this quite um, yes. fascinating conversation between these two. Well, they are... Um, extremely enlightened pair um, I don't know if I should give away the actual s- details of their marriage but Vita Sackville-West was a f- uh, um, a f- uh, an out lesbian I mean she made very little secret of the fact that she was a lesbian amongst the people with whom she mixed which was I suppose a pretty small and uh, coterie of um, uh, establishment figures the Bloomsbury set the Bloomsbury set exactly so um um, she was a, a, a lesbian. Her husband, Harold Nicholson, although the two of them had two children, so obviously there was a bisexuality involved in their relationship as well. They had an extremely loving relationship. They loved each other deeply, and they had this great affection for each other. And they invented this term, love with a capital L, to describe what real love was, the love that existed after sexual passion had disappeared, and the affection based on mutual interests and a shared life and children and all of those things, but not based on um, passion. So love with a capital L is what they describe as being true love rather than the the shallow love of um, sexual passion. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they are speaking on uh, radio about um, their marriage, of course they don't mention any of their sexual proclivities or anything like that. They speak as if just as a married couple. Um, but of course they're very liberal and so they don't use the words holy matrimony and they don't talk about the traditional values of marriage it's a very modern take on the relationship and Reith takes exception to this he thinks that that's not what should be um, that he thinks that is not what should be broadcast to the nation hmm. Do you want to tell us a bit more about Reith? Well Reith, I became interested in Reith because uh, I grew up with the radio, not with television and uh, because by the time we had TV in the house, I was away at school. So I didn't have much to do with TV, but I do remember the radio and listening to the light program and the home service and all those tuning in noises that used to get in the old days. So I, 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 radio was part and parcel of my life and I was aware of this kind of um, quite moral force that used to come out of this box. You know, it was a very... Uh, respected and respectable medium. It wasn't. There was not much uh, lightness about it. And then uh, later, uh, I saw an interview with Reith on Face to Face, which was a John Pre- uh, Freeman thing that went out in the 60s. It was black and white, and it was um, like a third degree because there was uh, there were two cameras, 
one was a two-shot which he never went back to apart from the introduction when he said and tonight's subject is John Reith and then the rest of it was locked off camera on the face and it was black and white and Reith by this time was quite an old man but he looked so um, noble and he looked like an Old Testament prophet and he was obviously <laughs> incredibly unhappy he was a terribly unhappy but he had a great nobility and power. His power was uncanny, you know. It was, um, he was just some incredible, powerful human being and who spoke, seemed to speak absolute truth with no concern for the consequences. And it was, I, I found it extremely moving to see this man. Anyway, so, uh, my third experience at the BBC was when I was a creative director of an advertising agency. We did a pitch for the BBC business because I don't know if you know it or not, but a lot of the stuff that you see on TV, the trailers for programs and conceptual programs about the BBC and all of their idents, everything yeah. goes out. They didn't do it okay. in-house, or at least they do have an in-house thing, but they also use outside agencies. Mm -hmm. So when we did this pitch, there were about four of us from the agency and then the BBC turned up and they had about 24 of them because they have to have a representative for each of the departments yeah. and for each of the, uh, you know, the TV, radio, all the channels, the whole thing. So that there were, there's a mass of people. Anyway, we, we did win the business and I started working at the BBC at Portland Place and we went into these meetings. Uh, with You'd have dozens of people in, in the meeting and they were all so nice and they were all <laughs> so bright. And they were all such great company and intelligent and they had fabulous degrees and they had these fantastically interesting discussions. Nothing ever happened. <laughs> Nothing ever happened as a result. I went to so many, I can't remember ever a decision other than that was such a good meeting. And then the minutes would come round about when they'd organize the next meeting, yeah. at which nothing would happen. <laughs> so I had these three experiences of radio, radio that I'd heard as a child, seeing Reith and thinking he's the most extraordinary character I've ever seen and then having the experience of working with the BBC and I couldn't put the three together so I had to go back and find out what Reith had done to start this company and how it had changed so out of hand over the period of time from being this little company to this monolithic corporation. Hmm. So that's when I started to read about Reith. <laughs> it's fascinating. And then he is a fascinating man. There's no two ways. It feels like the BBC that Reith ran is so very different, as you say, to the BBC that we see today. And it feels to me when I was at the read-through the other day, just hearing this story, um, so many stories about the BBC and where it stands now were ringing in my ears. And it didn't feel like you were saying anything or wanting me to think anything specifically about the contemporary BBC but more just to reflect, which was really useful to think about where I stood. Well, I think also the thing about all organisations is that they contain their original DNA. Mm. It, it's um, all these companies that become corporations. Somehow or another, the, the DNA which started when the company started and the founders and the principles that they put in place at the time percolate through the generations. I'm not sure how it happens, but it certainly seems to happen. Mm. And um, so you can detect, even though this play is set in the 30s, you can detect all kinds of traces of things which resonate today mm. about behavior and 
hypocrisy and um, uh, the way to behave and the way people really behave and the way in which people, uh, well, you know, so that uh, the, uh, the BBC is a perennial interest because we all feel it belongs to all of us. We all like it in many respects, but we criticize it because it cannot live up to the standards that it has of itself. <laughs> any more than could wreath as we discover in the play <laughs> so what was it like then we've just uh, so we're now in day three of rehearsal day three and the piece is being um directed by hamish peary yes it and is you have the wonderful benny young and leslie hart exactly name the two characters so what was it like to see it read by the two of them well it's the first time i'd ever heard it read out loud i hadn't read it myself uh, out i mean i'd read it obviously to myself and i'd heard the voices in my head but uh, hearing the voices in your head and then hearing them actually enacted is quite different. So, and you don't ever really uh, know if it's going to work and if it works, how well it's going to work. So that, of course, was incredibly exciting. And I have to say, it does work really yes, well. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I wanted you to say that first. <laughs> no, it does. It works, uh, it works really well. So I'm very, very excited. So I won't see it now again until it's on at the Oran Hall. Oh, really? No. Because oh, I'm see you at the opening. So yes, exactly. Oh, great! How has it been feeling um, your script having other voices involved as well? Because you will have worked on this, I should think, for quite a while, and then it mm. becomes very precious to you. Mm. So, what's it been like having um, having the actors and hearing their thoughts on dialogue? And well, first of all, um, both Benny and Leslie are incredibly smart. Um, uh, their analytical um, skills are fantastic. The way in which they get into the characters and want to understand the characters, why the character's motivated the way he or she is, the interaction between them, where the power lies as the conversation evolves, how the power shifts, uh, what each of them is trying to get out of the other. And then, the, I, I won't give the game away, but there are two huge confessions in, in this uh, play. Mm. Uh, both of which trigger responses in the other mm. which you do not expect because the meeting starts off as a business meeting in fact it's a telling off Hilda Matheson's called into Reith's office to be told off because she's put this program on air on the subject of marriage presented by two people who Reith thinks uh, completely wrong for the job Yeah, and he does not like the representation of marriage that he's heard mm -hmm. and from that we discover the relationships of both Reith and Hilda and we find out a great deal about their their love lives and their sex lives <laughs> which is always good I always find that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> Great, with a pie and a pint uh, Great, lunchtime. A pie and a pint and a big dollop of sex. What more you could, What more could you ask for? Oh, it's a really fantastic play, Tony, and um, I'm sure that these two incredible actors will do you proud, as will Hamish. Yes. And so the piece opens at um, Oran Moor on Monday the 24th of March. It does. And then it comes across to the Travis and opens here on Tuesday the 1st of April. Oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Good. And I'll see you on Monday the 24th. I really look forward to it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.